What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 72 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today is going to be a fun one. Today, we get to sit down with a gentleman who is truly a living legend. We were able to meet at a baseball conference in December of 2018, and since that point, we have become people that know each other and have become friends He sits in a Bible study with me every Monday, uh, a Zoom coaches, college baseball coach, pro baseball scout Bible study, and he is one of those people that when he speaks, everybody listens. His name is Coach Keith Madison. He became one of the youngest ever NCAA Division I baseball coaches and went on to have a 25-year career at the University of Kentucky before he retired in 2003. He is currently in three Halls of Fame, the Kentucky High School Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame, the University of Kentucky Athletic Hall of Fame, and the American Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame. He is someone that has not only done it, he has lived for Christ while he's done it. He is a blessing to know. And he is a gentleman, when we get done with this conversation today, you're going to feel better because you got to sit down and listen to Keith Madison. Well, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've got on your calendar today, but I hope you'll carve out a few minutes to pull out a notebook, a sheet of paper, something to type on, something to type with. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to do yourself a favor and listen in to my time with Coach Keith Madison. Well, Coach Madison, it is an honor to have you on Lynch with a Leader and have you as a guest today. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Well, this is going to be fun. Talk to me a little bit about your journey growing up. Tell me about Keith Madison in your growing up years. <laughs> well, I, I grew up in, uh, in rural Kentucky, a really small town. Uh, down in south central, sort of southwestern Kentucky, uh, called Brownsville, right next to Mammoth Cave National Park. Really didn't grow up in Brownsville. I grew up four miles outside of Brownsville on a little farm. But uh, you know, we were uh, we were a very poor family when I was young, and uh, we lived back on a little gravel road. Uh, my father uh, was one of those guys. He was a Depression era guy that grew up on the farm and uh, had to actually quit high school before he graduated to help on the farm. So we never really got to play sports or anything like that. And uh, he sort of got a break when I was a little fella, uh, got a job at at Fort Knox, Kentucky, working for uh, the army base there. And he started off unloading trucks and he uh, just really worked hard and took some tests and uh, tested well, and they helped him get his GED and then some 
advanced degrees. And when he, he's sort of the American dream. When he retired, uh, he had, uh, you know, majors and, and, and lieutenant colonels and people like that working for him. And so my life got better from a, uh, from a certain standpoint as I got older. But I remember, uh, Mike, when, when I was, uh, when I was a little guy, uh, when I was four or five years old, we did not have plumbing in our house. Mm. And we were just one of those poor Kentucky families that, um, but you know, uh, most of the people that lived around us were the same way. So we really didn't know. We didn't know. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And so I, I fell in love with sports, even though we didn't have a television, um, my brother was two and a half years older, and uh, I remember one day walking down the gravel road in front of our house, and there was a family that they were even poorer than we were that lived next door to us. They had four or five boys, and I walked down there. I, I think I, if I think I must have been about four years old. It's one of my earliest memories, and two of these boys were playing catch, and I was fascinated with that. I was I just just hearing that leather pop and watching how hard these guys threw the ball. And they were only probably, you know, 10 or 12 years old, but they were big guys to me. And I just sat there and I'm not even sure they knew I was watching them. And I thought, man, that is so great to be able to throw that ball like that. And then I was talking to my brother about it. And, and I'm sure my dad heard me a few weeks later, I don't know how he could afford it, but he brought home a couple of gloves and a baseball. And my brother and I started playing catch. And and then and then a few years later, it was basketball. And we were always playing catch with each other, competing against each other. And, uh, and then um, I remember vividly uh, when my brother got to be about 10 years old, he, he was a strong kid. And this, uh, this little league coach came by the house and, and asked my brother if he wanted to play on his little league team. And my brother said, yes, but only if my little brother can play with me. How about and that? So he, uh, because we were always playing together, I guess he felt like it would hurt my feelings if I didn't get to play too. And so that was, that was how I started playing baseball. And it was really neat that my brother was a part of that. And he loved me enough and wanted to be with me enough to let me tag along. Uh, I did not get a hit that first year. (laughs) It was, you know, it was, uh, but my, my coach, uh, David Webb, uh, he just passed away this past year. Uh, He hung in there with me. And then uh, uh, the next year, he sort of discovered that I had a pretty good arm. I could really throw, I guess it was all the times that, my brother and I were playing catch. I'd felt a pretty good arm. I didn't know, always know where it was going, but I could throw yeah. it pretty hard. Uh, so I had that fear factor going for me, but so I became a pitcher and then, uh, and then, you know, I learned how to hit a little bit. And when I, when I didn't pitch, I'd play shortstop or third base, like, like most of us do growing up. <clears throat> and, um, so that, that's, that's how that whole thing started. And then, uh, and then, you know, got into high school and, and, uh, became a decent basketball player and, and baseball player because in basketball, my brother, you know, in Kentucky basketball is huge. Yep. And, and we are, are, uh, besides, uh, you know, Mickey Mantle and, uh, Willie Mays and all those guys, our idols were Kentucky basketball players. Mm. 
we'd, we'd get out in the backyard, we'd go one-on-one against each other. And we would pretend that we were Cotton Nash or, or, or Pat Riley or, uh, you know, Louis Dampier or, or, and then later Dan Issel and people like that. So that? We, I, I would have those guys posters hung up in my, in my room. And, but we would, boy, my brother was older and he would not let me slide. He, we competed and quite frankly, got into a few, few scrapes and a few fights <laughs> against each other. Uh, but it was, it was good because I was the younger brother. It toughened me up a little bit. It taught me how to compete. Uh, it taught me how to go against guys that were bigger and stronger. And uh, so my brother was a big part of, of my development as an athlete. And then when I started developing that good arm, Mike, he, you know, he was always willing to catch me. And uh, so that helped me develop my control a little bit and, and just helped me develop that arm strength that served me well later. You know, you look at how kids grow up now and, and everything is so specialized and everything, you know, an eight-year-old playing from February till August and 8 million tournaments. Are you thankful you grew up in the area you grew up in and learned the way that you learned? Oh, no question about it. Because when, when I wasn't playing ball with my brother, you know, playing catch with him or pitching to him or trying to beat him one-on-one in basketball, it was either that working on the farm, which, you know, we were hauling hay and we were hanging tobacco up in the, in the tops of barns and really developing. We didn't lift weights. We didn't have to. We didn't have to. That's right. Yeah, we, we kind of became country strong. <laughs> and, uh, and, but it was either, it was either playing sports, working on the farm. And when I wasn't doing that, uh, we lived in a, like I said, a very rural area and I could go down in the woods, and just explore and climb cliffs and, uh, pretend that I was uh, Daniel Boone or whatever. And uh, so I was always outside, always doing physical things, which was really good for me and helped me develop, I think, as an athlete. Even when I wasn't playing sports, I was working or climbing or, or doing something physical. And now it's uh, – and, and I don't want to be one of those old guys that says that everything that young kids do now is wrong. They have a lot of great opportunity with baseball camps and, uh, and, and, and instruction, uh, individual instruction and all the things they have available. Uh, but we just didn't have those things. So we sort of made do with what we had and it, and it worked well for me. What would you say to parents now? It, would there be any advice? You've been on the collegiate level coaching for so long. You played at an incredibly high level and you know, you've, you've watched this whole evolution uh, is there any advice you would give a parent pulled you aside and said, I've got a nine-year-old son who loves baseball. You know, I think they could be good at it. What, what advice would you give somebody like that? I would say get them outside as much as possible, play catch with them, uh, just help them experience just being a boy and, 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 uh, and, and get them off the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two grandsons now and, and I, I love it because my daughter-in-law and my son are constantly getting them off the couch and they limit the time of, for television and video games. And they're either swimming or playing ball or doing something physical. And, and I love that. Uh, and I, I would just encourage parents to get outside with your kids 
and make sure that they're playing, that they're developing uh, not only their mind, but, uh, you know, their muscles. That's part of growing up. And to let them play everything they want to play. That's right. let, let them play basketball. Let them play soccer. Let them play football. And uh, it's good for them to, to, to take a break. If they're, uh, I, I just know so many kids, 10, 11 years old now, in our area, and I know it's even more so that way in, in the Atlanta area, it's so specialized and there's, and, and there's, I'm not, I'm not an anti-travel ball guy, but, but I, I sort of like it when young athletes learn how to compete in other sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's very healthy. And I, I know uh, I was a, uh, I love basketball and, and I think that, that conditioning and that being on the free throw line. And back in those days in Kentucky, you know, there'd be two, 3000 people watching you and the game's on the line and I'm on the, I'm on the free throw line and there's pressure. And, and that helped me become a pitcher. That's right. Because I would be on the mound and there would be that kind of pressure later on in my career. And so you can really, I think you can sometimes learn, just as much or more about baseball by participating in other sports because in sports like football and, and basketball at the high school level, uh, you know, usually there's uh, the crowds are bigger yeah. and you have to deal with the stress and pressure of, of, of having the game on the line and it's up to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cause high school baseball, when it's 20 degrees outside, yeah. typically the parents are bagging those, man. So definitely football and basketball draw better than That's high right. school baseball. And it's so funny. You look back and I even think back to the baseball IQ piece of it. You know, you grew up, you listen to it on the radio. And so you're outside, you're listening to it. You're imagining the game where now they have a lot of exposure to the game. And I know just on the high school level, sometimes we find kids, that don't understand it. They know it, they play it, but they don't, those little nuances of the game. You went on, had a great career playing, and then went on to amass 737 college wins. You're in three Hall of Fames. Did you ever dream that would be the case for your career? No way, Mike. No way. I I, I just, uh, I, I remember starting my coaching career at Lake Wales High School in Lake Wales, Florida. Uh, I had a cousin that taught in that school system down there, and he talked Sharon and I into going down there. And uh, when I got out of pro baseball uh, as a player, and and I was going to start, I figured, hey, I know more about baseball than anything else, so I'm going to be a coach. So, uh, no, I, I just, I, I had no idea that this would happen. I, I look back on my life, and, and I think, you know, I can see where God uh, really directed my, my, my steps mm. and opened doors for me. And, and some of the doors weren't glamorous looking at the time, uh, you know, going to Lake Wells, Florida, it's a nice place, <laughs> most of the Disney world, but man, we were poor and we didn't have a lot, but, but, uh, God used that as, as, as to help shape me as a coach. I worked with another guy by the name of Joe man Gaskell, who, uh, had played for coach Ron Polk at Georgia Southern. And he introduced me to Ron Polk, which led me to becoming a graduate assistant at Mississippi state. Wow. And then Ron really didn't want to mess with the pitchers. He was more of an infield hitting guy and a base running guy. And his assistant coach, Mark Johnson, who later became a hall of fame coach at Texas A&M 
he was also a hitting guy and an outfield guy. And they said, Hey, Keith, man, you pitched at the triple A level. You want to take these pitchers over and, and uh, that way we don't have to mess with them. I said, absolutely. So I got to be at 20, uh, 25, 26 Good years old night. pitching coach at Mississippi state university, which led to me becoming the head coach at the university of Kentucky here in my home state. So, you know, I, I just, I look back at that. And I think, man, that's not an accident. All those things. That's just not accidental. Uh, and I, I just think that uh, for some reason, God allowed me those opportunities and put me in the right spots at the right time uh, so that he could somehow use me uh, and allow me to use the gifts that I truly believe he gave to me mm. uh, to honor him. What well, you know, you've met so many great coaches through the years, coached against them, probably coached with them many times. What makes a great college coach? What is it that as you've met them, because I'm sure personalities are all different, styles are all different, but are there some core competencies that you go, I mean, these are just some traits of those guys that stand out to me. Anything, anything in particular? You are absolutely right. I mean, uh, when I, when I think of Ron Polk, uh, a great tactician and and he one of the one of the gifts that Ron Polk had was he he prepared his team so well in practice that when they competed against Alabama or or Ole Miss or LSU whoever the players thought hey we're better prepared so we're probably we're going to win there he had that ability to prepare the teams and help them to believe that we're better prepared than any other team. And so the expectations to win were huge. Mm. And uh, the guys just, every time they took the field, they expected to win. And and then I, I look at Skip Bertman, who won a lot of national championships and was a phenomenal coach. He was, he was like the maestro in the dugout. He controlled the game as much as anybody I've ever seen. Uh, his scouting reports and his ability to call pitches and to teach pitchers how to put a hitter away and all those kinds of things were just amazing. So I learned a lot just from watching these guys and competing against them. And then there was Hal Baird at mm -hmm. Auburn who was such a classy guy. Uh, I used to look across the, the baseball field in the, into the Auburn dugout and I used to think, man, if I could just be a coach like that, because <laughs> he, he was always in control. And uh, he was like the EF Hutton of coaches. You know, he didn't say much, but boy, when he spoke, the umpires listened, his players listened, everybody listened. And he was so effective. And, and so, like I said, classy. Uh, there's so many coaches like that that I've just been blessed to get to know. And, and the thing that they all have in common is number one, their passion for, for the game. Number two, their knowledge of the game. There's no substitute for knowledge. Mm. And number three, their desire to help young men become better. And not only as baseball players, right. but as men. And through their discipline and through their teaching, they taught these guys not only how to become better baseball players, but how to be better men. I promise you, there's so many leaders 
that played for all these coaches that I mentioned and, and other, other good coaches too. And whether they're businessmen now or whether they're in education or whatever they're doing, they may be on their own business. They're using principles that they learned on the baseball field from these coaches. That's so good. How, how, how would you describe you? You know, Coach oh. Polk, yeah, Coach Polkman, you were in the golden era of SEC baseball during these guys. And, man, they, you had some legends you were cross dugouts with. How, what, was your, what was your style as a coach? Well, when I, uh, when I got the job at the University of Kentucky, I was 26 years old. And it was just it – uh, it was exciting. But, Mike, it was also a little bit overwhelming. I was calling Coach Polk two or three times a week. Coach, what do you do in this situation? What are you doing? You know, and, and he helped me. He was always willing to take my call. He helped me a lot. And I think at the very beginning, I tried to be like Ron Polk. Yeah. That didn't work because Ron Polk was one of those guys. He was so detail oriented and so structured and so disciplined. And that's not my nature. I mean, all coaches have to have a little bit of that. But, for instance, uh, I remember when I was coaching Mississippi State, we would be getting, you know, we at practice, at the end of practice, he'd say, okay, fellas, tomorrow we're leaving uh, to play Alabama. You've got to be on the bus at 247. I'm going, 247? What? And, you know, most people say 3 o'clock, yep. 245. But with Coach Polk, it was 247. Or we're going to start practice tomorrow at 3.02. And I started thinking about that. You know, I might, I might not take seriously 3 o'clock. But when I hear 3.02, I'm going to remember that. And so it's just little things like that. And, and, I, and I incorporated some of that into my coaching style. But I'm more of a big picture guy, a little bit of a visionary. And... For the University of Kentucky at that time, a visionary type coach was needed because it was a part-time position. We had no full-time assistant coaches. Our field was like a high school playing field, really. So I had these, I was a dreamer. I thought, man, one of these days we're going to have this and, and we're going to get this going. And I just love to be challenged. Mm. And when I was a young coach, there was no challenge too big for me. I thought, I guess I was naive. I thought I could do anything. And so I, I, I sort of coached with no fear. And it was, for me, it was more of getting a group of guys together and competing together as a team. And I remember uh, that first year I was coaching, Mike, I, I, I remember being in the dugout. And we were down like four runs in a particular game. And I, I think the players could tell that I was getting a little bit nervous or I was stressing a little bit. This sophomore shortstop came up to me. He said, hey, coach, don't worry about it. We got this. And when he said that, I just, I thought, man, this guy's got more confidence than I do. <laughs> Can't tell him that. Yeah, no, I couldn't tell him that. But you know what? We did win it. And I realized that, hey, these guys, I, one thing I got from Coach Polk is preparing the team. Mm. They felt prepared. They felt confident. And they felt like we could do anything if we stuck together. And if I had a gift, I guess it was that. It was, mm. it was 
sort of building that that confidence and uh, that togetherness and being one. And I love that part of it. Um, and so that was fun for me. That, that part of it was fun. Uh, the details and, and, you know, I, I was a, a, a pitcher. And so I love getting the bullpen and working with pitchers mm-hmm. and helping them with the change up and, and, and trying to get a, a better rotation on their breaking ball and, and all those kinds of things. Uh, but I always tried to hire assistant coaches that knew more about hitting, more about base running and all those parts of the game. I didn't get on base much as a pro player. So <laughs> I, I didn't have a feel for base running at all. So I needed people to help me with that. And so uh, I, I learned how to delegate and, mm. and give my assistant coaches responsibility. Whereas Coach Berkman at LSU, man, he controlled everything. Wow. Uh, Jim Wells at Alabama, he was that way. He controlled every aspect of the game. Whereas I was, you know, being a former pitcher, I felt like I needed to give my assistant coaches more um, authority in certain parts of the game. That's good. That is so good. You have really, and and I think in baseball circles, you're known as your faith not just being something you did on Sunday. Your faith was very much a part of your journey and of your life, where, where did your faith journey begin? And how did you, how did you learn to not, not be a coach who happened to be a Christian, but be a Christ-like baseball coach while you're in the middle of it? How how did, how did all that story come about? Well, you know, I, I, I hear you say that. And I, a lot of ways, I don't see myself that way, Mike, uh, you know, and I'm thankful that people do. Uh, I'm humbled by that. I, my faith journey started uh, in in our home when I was growing up, and uh, we we were a family that attended church. That was a very important part of our life. And uh, my mother prayed for me. I remember uh, being at home alone with my mother uh, one day, and my brother and sister were out playing or something, and I was in the house and. And I heard her in her bedroom. I thought there was somebody in the bedroom with her. I thought she was talking to somebody. And I remember peeking in the door and she was on her knees. Mm. And I remember hearing her call my name in prayer. Mm. And I mean, I, I get cold chills when I think about that right now. And and I remember her just being really, I, her faith was so important. And it was for my dad too. But that's where it began. And I remember uh, being a little bit hard headed as a kid, you know, I think some competitors are, uh, and, uh, I was the youngest in our family and, um, I just, uh, you know, I was 12 years old and I really, I, I had got really serious about it, but I remember going to a, a revival meeting one night at our, at our church. And I was playing with one of my buddies outside the church. And all of a sudden we hear the singing and we think, Oh man, we're in trouble. We're going. We're late in the church, and back in those days in, in in rural Kentucky, revival meetings were huge, and people would come from other churches and and people that maybe never came to church except for Easter or Christmas. They would come to revivals, and the church was packed. And when 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 I went in, the only place to to sit down was on the second row in what we call the Amen corner. <laughs> <laughs> so usually usually I would sit in the back with my buddies and stuff like that. So I got stuck sitting in the front, but I tell you, that was another thing that was a part of God's plan mm-hmm. because I was so close that I, it, it forced me to listen 
And halfway through the sermon that night, the, the Holy Spirit was just working on my heart in such a powerful way. I knew they were going to make an altar call. I knew the, 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 our pastor was going to make an altar call. I couldn't wait for the altar call. Wow. And I was, you know, I was like most kids. I was shy. I didn't want to get in front of people. I remember coming out of that second uh, or the, the row, the second row there out of that pew and walking up to where the preacher was preaching before he was finished. And I don't know why I did this. It was just the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I remember just putting my arms around the, our pastor. And when I did that, I remember hearing him say, the time is now. Mm-hmm. And when he, that I went down the altar, I bowed on my knees. My mother came. Both of my grandmothers came and other people came. And that was the night I surrendered my heart to Christ. And it was, it was powerful. I, I, I know that a lot of people that come to Christ, it doesn't happen in a, in a real powerful way like that. But I will never forget that night as long as I live. And that really, even though I was only 12 years old, that changed the direction of my life. And so that's where my faith journey began. And then to be honest with you, you know, when I started playing professional baseball, um, I was playing with guys from Los Angeles, from Dallas, Texas, from New York, from Puerto Rico, from the Dominican Republic. And I'm, I'm this country boy. And I didn't want to be seen as this uh, Kentucky hillbilly type kid. So I, I, I would hang around these what I thought were cool guys. Mm. And I got we didn't have baseball chapel back then. I got away from the war because I was following the wrong people. And uh, it took me a long time to, I remember, I remember vividly, you know, making mistake after mistake, going to bed at night, putting my head on the pillow and asking God to forgive me. And I did that so many times that finally, I, I remember thinking, God is sick of hearing from me. I'm not even going to ask him. And that's when I really got in trouble. That's when I really thinks, you know, my, I, I was, I did not have peace in my life. I was absolutely, I was, I was in AAA at 19 years old, which was very young to be at that level. But I wasn't happy because I wasn't walking with the Lord. I didn't have peace in my life. And it wasn't until I got married a few years later that I started having this desire to be in fellowship with Christ again. And I knew what I was missing. I just didn't know how to get back to it. And actually, uh, my wife came to Christ after we got married. Wow. She, yeah, she had this she had this desire to learn and to grow. And, 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 and I was still, I, I still felt like I just messed up too many times. And she finally talked me into to going to church with her. And, and then what really was the game changer when we started having children. And I wanted my I wanted my sons to know Christ and to follow Christ, and that's when I really started getting serious about my faith. And it was at at that same time was sort of the beginning of my head coaching career at Kentucky, and um, started going to uh, FCA camp, taking my boys to FCA camp, meeting people like Bobby Richardson, who was just a phenomenal encourager and man of faith, and I. I thought, man, I want to be, I want to be like Mark Johnson. I want to be like Bobby Richardson. You know, I want to, I want to live my life and and be that kind of coach. And uh, so uh, 
you know, it's, uh, I was telling somebody this the other day, my, my spiritual life, I wish I could tell you that it, it started here and, and, and it's a straight line going upward and I've, I've improved every year, but really my spiritual life has been sort of like that graph you see of the stock market yep. you know, peaks and valleys, but I'm, I'm, I'm trending up a little bit. <laughs> I'm yeah. not there yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we just want to, we just want to grow and, um, and, and try to try to get better and better each, each day. And, and, and hopefully that's been the case. Uh, I still mess up. I still, uh, you know, I still get, uh, uh, get going in the wrong direction, but, but thankfully, uh, God's grace is just, it truly is amazing. It really is. And that he loves us in spite of ourselves and he loves nope. us. And he, yeah. And he, and he uses us when we didn't think we were even capable of being used. And it's, so it, true. it is so, it's so interesting. So you retire in Oh three, but you hadn't slowed down a bit. You well, just, I was, yeah, I was only 51 when I retired from wow. coaching. And, and that's interesting. I, uh, I've never heard of anyone getting called out of anything before, but I really felt like God was calling me out of coaching. Uh, just a quick story. Uh, we're having a really tough year in 03. Uh, it's about midway through the season. And I remember just, uh, just keep, you know, just kept grinding and thinking, Hey, we're going to get this thing turned around. We're going to get in the SEC tournament. We're going to impress them. We're going to get back in the regionals. And, but uh, it was a tough year had some injuries. And I remember we were playing Kent state university in a midweek game. And I remember being in the dugout, we're playing well that day. We're making the plays. We're getting some timely hits. My pitcher's throwing strikes. And I remember thinking, Hey, this is it. We're going to turn it around. We're going to get it going. As soon as I had that thought, Mike, God spoke to my heart. It was real. He said, this is your last year of coaching at the university of Kentucky. And I went, wow. We we went ahead and won the game. We played the same team the next the next day. We won that game. Uh, and I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell Sharon. I didn't tell anybody about what I felt like God was telling. So that Friday night, we played Arkansas, and they were ranked like ninth in the nation or something like that. They were really good. They beat us like a drum. It was, uh, it was just a humiliating loss. So... That was on a Friday night, Saturday morning. I get up and Sharon and I are having coffee. And I said, Sharon, I got to tell you that last Tuesday in the dugout, I felt like God was speaking in my heart. He was telling me this is going to be my last year coaching here. And I thought she would say, ah, you know, you're just having a tough year. Let's pray about it. At the end of the season, we'll talk about it. But instead she said, yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> thought, so yeah. she was ready. She was ready. and and. God used that to sort of affirm what he was saying. And then my brother had come up from Chattanooga and he followed us all over the South. He, you know, if we played in Starkville, he'd show up. He loved, loved baseball. And he just loved following our team. And like me, grew up a big Kentucky Wildcat fan. So he actually was up. Uh, his, his uh, oldest son lives near me and he came over and he was going to have some coffee with me before I left for the game. And I shared that with him. And I, I thought he would say, hey, no, man, you're you're only 51. And yeah, you've had a couple of tough years, but you're going to be fine. Because he'd always done that before. Yeah. And still, you know what? That is really good. 
because you and Sharon are going to be able to do some things you've never been able to do before. Little did he know he was a prophet because I never dreamed of working for an organization like Score International, taking teams like the University of Louisville and other teams on short-term mission trips, uh, taking other men on trips and putting on clinics and sharing the gospel and in third world countries. I just, I never dreamed of doing anything like that, Mike, but because I was called out of coaching and because I was obedient, God's allowed me to do some of those things. And it's been, it, it's been an incredible experience just to be able to be around men like Rick Robinson and Don mm -hmm. Gordon and John Zeller and all these guys and to be able to share my faith with people and uh, to encourage people. And I've, I've started a, a ministry with coaches now and just trying to encourage those guys because they have such a demanding job and it's, it's hard on their families. And, uh, and sometimes they feel like they're, they feel like their wives hate them. Their ADs hate them. Their players hate them. The, the media hates them. They feel like everybody hates them. And they're and right. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just, uh, it's been really cool to just try to encourage those guys along their journey and, and God used my experience, um, and to give them a feeling like, Hey, you know, this Madison guy, he's been there. He knows what I'm going through. That's and, right. and uh, maybe I should listen to him a little bit. And so it's really been, been cool to see God open up those doors and allow me to, to, to have a ministry to other coaches. I love that. What, what's, if you could talk to every coach, no matter the sport, baseball, basketball, football, I mean, they've all got that influence, whether it's high school, college, or even, even younger ages, what would you, what would you tell them? What do you, what would you say to them about their influence and the impact they can have? I would say that based on my experience as an athlete, that I had one of the greatest dads in the world. He was the hardest working man. He was a man of character. I was really blessed to have the parents I had. But there came a time in my life, Mike, and it came around 13, 14 years old. I really didn't listen to them. I should have. But you know who I listened to? I listened to my coaches. And they could tell me to go through a wall. I'm going to do that. Mm. And, and you know what? I spent a lot more time with them than I did my parents. That's right. And so I was with them all the time, and I wanted to impress them. I wanted to please them. I would tell the coaches, whether it was football, basketball, tennis, golf, soccer, baseball, I would say take advantage of the time that you're spending with your athletes. Yeah, teach them to compete. Teach them to win because those things are important, and that's going to help them throughout their lives but also teach them to be men and women of character. Teach them to become good husbands, good wives, good fathers, good mothers, good citizens in their communities, because we desperately need that in America today. We, I, I mean, we desperately need that. That's right. And I, I think that it, and, and teachers can have that impact too, but coaches go into competition with their athletes and they ride buses with their athletes. They spend all kinds of time with them and athletes listen to them. Use that influence for the good, leave a legacy of character and integrity 
and faith and perseverance and compassion. That's if I could tell every coach in the world anything, that's what I would tell. You know, you had lots of players go on and play at the higher level. Many got drafted. You had some that made it all the way to the top and and some that uh, one, one of the one is Cy Young. If you could shake all of that out, what do you think was your biggest um, hope for all the players that you coached? For all those young lives from the age of 25, when you're a young coach beginning down in Lake Wells, then 25 with Coach Polk, what do you hope those players would say about you now and the time they spent with you? Oh, wow. I, I would hope they would say, Coach Madison loved us. Mm. And he loved us enough to discipline us. He loved us enough to not let us give up. He, he loved us enough to, to teach us how to respect each other and uh, respect our opponents. And, you know, I, I, I hope they would say that. That's what I, that's what I tried to be. I didn't, I made mistakes. As a matter of fact, I, I got a text message yesterday from, from a coach that, boy, we had so many battles against each other. And, and uh, sometimes he didn't handle it very well. Sometimes I didn't handle it very well, but he reached out to me yesterday. Mm. And I told him, I said, you, I, I said, you can't even imagine how much that means to me that you would still consider me a friend, even though we were rivals and uh, boy, we when we competed against each other, it was it, it was a battle, and we just had just a great conversation, texting back and forth. And uh, so, I think people see that we're human. Coaches aren't perfect. Uh, we make mistakes. Uh, sometimes we blow it uh, in, in the way we. I always I used to take pride, Mike, in 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 that man. I would I, I could get nose to nose with an umpire and 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 just get after him without using profanity. And I thought that was okay. But you know, some of the other things I said to him were horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and God really convicted me with that. You know, those those men, yeah, they're like us. They make mistakes. But do I want somebody crawling in my face every time I make a mistake? Mm. I, I, I understand that that's part of the game and you have to stick up for your team, but that's why I respect people like Hal Baird and Mark Johnson and people like that so much because they seem to do it. They seem to treat umpires. I, I almost said even umpires. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but they, they, they treated umpires. Yeah, they would get hot occasionally, but those umpires really respected them. That's and cool. hopefully as I got older and as I matured as a coach, Hopefully that was the case with me, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's those things that, that we talked about earlier. I, I would hope that whether it was Brandon Webb who won the Cy Young award or Joe Blanton who pitched like 12 years in the big leagues, I would hope those guys would, would say, boy, you know, coach taught me how to persevere. He taught me how to, to, to elevate my teammates and to be part of a team and, and, uh, to really go into battle together as a team. I hope that's what they learned. And, um, and I, I think they knew that I prayed for them. Uh, I prayed with them. Uh, you know, 
that was a, my faith was a big part of who I was as a coach. And, uh, hopefully, hopefully that didn't offend some of the players, but I think they, uh, I, I, I know some of them who maybe were offended at the time. Now, when they come back and talk to me, they say, well, coach, I appreciate you taking a stand. I appreciate you, you know, praying for me and all that, because I I'm telling you, there were some players, uh, when I'd go to bed at night, I'd, I'd lay there thinking, man, I wonder what he's doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and so I spent some time in prayer for those guys. That's, That's exactly right. That is exactly right. Why do you think God created Keith Madison? You know, he he could have used a lot of he, – he, he uniquely put you together. He gave you the mom and dad he gave you. He grew you up where you grew up in the era that you grew up in with the circumstances you grew up in. You – end up getting to be a grad assistant, one of the greatest coaches who ever lived, Ron Polk. You've had an amazing career, touched lives all over the world through the game of baseball, had an incredible family. Why do you think God created you? Mike, that is one of the most challenging and humbling questions I've ever been asked. And nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, when you ask me that question, I, even though I have accomplished some things and I've been really blessed, um, I feel like I've really fallen short in, in, in some areas. Um, you know, if I had been more faithful, if I had been more disciplined in my life, who knows how God may have used me in a greater way. Uh, that's, that's, that's a question I may never know the answer to, but, I really believe God created me to be a father, mm. a husband, a coach, and someone who encourages other coaches and, 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 and other men in their walk with Christ. Um, I, 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 I got to tell this really short story that I really think might help answer that question. Uh, last year, I was in the Dominican Republic. And I was, uh, we put on a baseball clinic for about 200 little kids. And some of them didn't have shoes. They, they were just beautiful kids that loved baseball. And at the end, I put them all in the bleachers. And uh, I'm thanking them for letting me come. I'm sharing my faith with them. I, I actually... Uh, ask if these guys if anybody wanted to receive Christ after sharing the gospel with them. And several hands came up and gave me an opportunity to pray for them. And I said, you know, I said, um, it's not only important that we receive Christ, but it's really important that we follow Christ. And and uh, we, we, we want, we had some missionaries there and they were sitting on bleachers across the field and I said, if you're really serious about giving your life to Christ and following him, I want you to stand up and I want you to walk across the infield. And those men over there will teach you how to follow Christ. And they'll, they're going to want to meet with you at least once a week to get to know you and help you in this journey. Earlier in the day, there were some older guys that had come into that ballpark where we were doing the clinics and it looked like they were getting ready for a professional tryout. They were big, strong guys. 
I didn't realize it, but when I was sharing with these young players, they were 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. When these boys got up out of the bleachers and started walking across the infield, this six foot 11 Jamaican kid came from behind the bleachers. He was listening to the gospel from behind the bleachers, and he walked across that infield with those little kids. And I thought, well, maybe he's going to his car. My, my faith wasn't very strong. But he went over and he took a seat with these little kids. And our missionary sat there with him. And then they met with him later and taught him how to be a, a follower of Christ. They mm. decided. And when I think about why did God create me, I believe that's it. I believe that's the reason. Because I can't think of anything that's better than to show someone how to spend eternity with Christ instead of separating from him. And that is a, uh, it's just a phenomenal thing to do. And again, when I was coaching at Kentucky, I never dreamed I would ever do anything like that. But if you could say, you know, which is more important, 25 years coaching at the University of Kentucky and being in the ABC Hall of Fame, or leading that six foot 11 Jamaican kid to Christ and spending eternity with God, I would say that's the most important. And so I, I've just, uh, as I've gotten older, Mike, I've, I realized how, you know, I'm getting closer to taking that step into eternity. Uh, we all are every day. It's just that my age makes me think about it a little bit more. It's, uh, I can't think of anything more important is to share with somebody that, you know, we're separated from God. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross and pay the penalty for our sins so that we can have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him. Um, my favorite verse in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Oh. Uh, where Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that, as you know, is the great exchange. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he took all of Mike's sins, all of Keith's sins, the sins of the world, and, and, and as bad as a physical pain was, the weight of our sin and our shame was on Christ. And that was even more painful. But he took that from us. And in exchange, he says, just trust in me and I'll give you my righteousness. And that that is such a powerful, powerful thing for people to grasp is that, no, you know, I, I've already said maybe two or three times, man, I've blown it. I've made mistakes. But that doesn't separate me from God because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And we can have his righteousness. He was perfect. Mm. And we can be clothed with his righteousness. That way we can have a relationship with God. And just to be able to share that with people here in Kentucky or across America, at coaches' conventions, in the Dominican Republic, is such an incredible blessing. I think that's why I was created. I hope you enjoyed that time with Coach Madison. 
the word I think of when every time I'm around him, whether it's in a Bible study or whether it is just listening to him or getting one of the devotionals that's sent to hundreds of coaches across the country, the word I always think of with Coach Madison is wisdom. The man bleeds wisdom. And I am so thankful that in the journey of life, my paths were able to cross with Keith Madison. And I am so thankful you got to listen in a little while on our time together. And I know I'm a better person for it. Not only was he a great Hall of Fame baseball coach, he is a Hall of Fame baseball person for how he lived for Christ. And I am so thankful that I am able to be affected by his leadership and by his life. Thank you, Coach Madison. Well, continuing in the spring training vein, we are going to get you to listen in next time to another gentleman we've been able to cross paths here recently. His name is Clint Hurdle. You may remember him as a breakout phenom on the cover of Sports Illustrated or as the manager of the Colorado Rockies or as the manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. But what you're going to come to learn about Clint Hurdle is his faith runs really, really deep. And his faith drives everything that he does. And so until we meet again, I hope you'll share this podcast with a friend if it's been beneficial to you. If you are a friend of Coach Madison's, write him a note of encouragement to let him know how much he meant to you. But the greatest way you can spread the news is by spreading the podcast. Take it, share it on Apple or iTunes, share a review because it does help other people find the way to us. Thanks again for joining today and go be the person that God created you to be in the space and the place that he's put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 